The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wesley Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. All right. Well, we are in John chapter 3 today. We were in John chapter 3 last week, the week before, and the week before that. There's just really a lot of stuff in here. And I'm not in a real hurry just because it's some simple truths that John is really helping us focus on to, uh, yes, kiddos can go. Uh, It's like he's just got this focus on here's these simple foundational truths Again, he's like 40, 50 years past the resurrection, 10, 15 years past the last of the New Testament writings. And he's just, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is just really honing in to say, here's the truths you need to know. And out of all of his experiences, just sliding aside all that other stuff to say, here's these truths. And that has really kind of just really caused me to really think slower Uh, through this gospel. So last week we looked at really verses 15 and 16, but reading verse 14 through 16, just to give us a better context, it says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life and so john three sixteen. here's the gospel in a nutshell the gospel in the fewest words right here god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life and we saw in that last week we saw god's love for the world we saw his gift to the world which is son and we saw his promise to the world and his promise to the world was eternal life And so, as I said last week, for Nicodemus, this was kind of a hard thing for him to grab a hold of. Because remembering who Nicodemus was, he was a religious leader, he was a Jewish scholar. And so, in his mind, his take on God, the Jew in the world, would have been something out of maybe Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 7 through 10, in essence, where God said, look, I've I've chosen you of all the peoples of the earth. I set my love upon you. Uh, I have done it because I am going to fulfill the promise that I've spoken unto you, uh, the promise, all of the promise that I've spoken unto you. But to those who hate me, I'm going to bring judgment to. So in in Nicodemus's mind, uh, he's thinking very differently. Um, he would have, uh, so the thought of God loving the whole world would not have been a part of Nicodemus's theology. And so this week, looking at verses 17 and 18, so if, if you look at the conversation that uh, Jesus is having with Nicodemus, it's just he, he reveals a little, he reveals a little more, he reveals a little more, he reveals a little more. And here, Jesus keeps revealing to Nicodemus truths that he and the Jewish leaders missed about God's intended purpose 
not just for the Jewish nation, but for the world. And this is where, for us, this is where we find ourselves so often also. People's misunderstanding about the coming of Jesus. People's misunderstanding of the gospel. People's misunderstanding of God's intended purpose for the world and all that he's done. We find ourselves in the very same place. They, they just have this misunderstanding about it. And I love it because Jesus is really qualifying this for Nicodemus. And as we understand, if you look through it, it seems that Nicodemus, it, it clicked. And Nicodemus became a believer. It appears. And so, uh, <clears throat> verse 17, John 3, 17. He tells, goes on to tell Nicodemus, it wasn't just that God loved the world, but he said, God did not send his son into the world to judge or condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So he's telling Nicodemus, look, the primary reason for God sending his son was so that the world could be rescued. And so Nicodemus' mind, again, the coming of the Messiah was to rescue Israel and judge all opposed to God, which wasn't true, at least not then. And we looked, remember when we went through prophecy and end times, it was, we looked at that Jesus is coming and Jesus is coming again. Jesus' coming, his first coming was to bring rescue. Uh, the second coming of Jesus at his coming, judgment will follow his coming. And so there is much we read in the scriptures concerning God's Messiah, who the Jews knew as a promised deliverer for them, the Jewish nation. But think with me just for a minute. The promise of Messiah, God's promised deliverer, reaches all the way back to Genesis 3.14 before there was ever a Jewish nation. And it reveals the real reason why man needs deliverance. Because in it we find the real enemy was the devil and the consequences of what the devil did was sin. So the real predicament that man is in is he's separated from God because of his sin. And so if you remember when God is asked Eve, what'd you do? She blamed it on the devil. And uh, this, is what, this is what God spoke to the serpent. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and hers. He will crush her head and you will strike his heel, which we see in the cross. The striking of the serpent at Jesus was his death. The crushing of the serpent's head was Jesus was raised from the dead to destroy the enemy and the works of the enemy. And so we see that. We see then, we see the fall, we see the flood, we see God calling Abraham to become a great nation, to fulfill his promises through, which in Genesis chapter 22 verse 18, he said, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have, you have obeyed my voice. Now, Paul interprets that for us in Galatians chapter 3, 16, by saying this. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Going back to 3.15, Genesis 3.15, uh, to Abraham and his seed. 
uh, Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. And so Jesus is trying to help, Nic help Nicodemus see that God's intention wasn't, you, you've got to go further back than Abraham. You've got to go further back than Moses. You've got to go back to the beginning. Here was God's intended purpose all along for humanity. Humanity had fallen, and God wanted to rescue humanity, bring back humanity back to the relationship that he originally intended for them. And Nicodemus, along with the Jews, they were missing it. See, the real problem, the real enemy of God that God is wanting to crush is the works of the devil and the consequences of sin. And he's doing that through Jesus. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus came to give us life. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, same word in John 3.16, but that all should come to repentance. So God's will, his intended purpose in the coming of Jesus was to give people the opportunity to receive forgiveness of sin and find everlasting life. You know, one of the, one of the things that we need to keep in mind about God rescuing us is we are to be ministers of rescuing others. Christianity is for the proclamation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus about this. So Jesus explaining to Nicodemus what God's purpose was for sending his son. Again, it was not to condemn, but it was to save. Now Luke writes Jesus' words in Luke 19.10 saying this, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, it's interesting, this word lost here and the word perish in John 3.16, it's the same Greek word. So this word means to be brought to ruin, to cease to have the opportunity to fulfill the purpose for which one was created. Okay? So it says that... Uh, Jesus came so that we wouldn't come to ruin, so that we wouldn't miss the opportunity to find what God has for us. He didn't want us, so, so lostness, when you think about lostness, people that are lost because they have not yet, and I use that strongly, they have not yet believed the gospel. They are in ruin. They, they are not in this place of fulfilling God's intended purpose in their life. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And so, I like that, but it says that God sent his son. So that word sent is apostle. So it's someone that has a message and a mission. So Jesus is coming... He, remember, he says, uh, in the volumes of the book, I come to do your will, O God. What was the will of God? It was so that Jesus could proclaim and provide the way for salvation for humanity. So that humanity could find their way 
and fulfill God's intended purpose for their life. You know, I know that uh, sometimes it's oversimplification, but the, the powerful um, realization, cre- <laughs> powerful realization that the creator of all things knows me, that he sought me out. See, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. He is come, He is seeking us out. <laughs> I, I don't know. That just kind of blows my mind. And, and so often people see a negative side of Jesus' coming, but Jesus' coming was and is positive. So for us, as we're sharing with people, uh, we need to keep that in front of them. Uh, so if those who have not come to Jesus are lost, which the scripture says they are, it is because they have wandered away and not committed themselves to God, the only source of life. So again, Jesus has come that they might, may, find their way back to him. And all throughout scripture and human history, God has made it very plain to man about how to be made right with him. Just take your Bible, go through a history of how the Bible came to be, and everybody through the course of human history that's tried to destroy it and how God has preserved it so that we could know. So, so many, so many things out there. And the funny thing is about all this, God's really worked hard to make it plain, and people say it's complicated, I don't see it at all. They think, uh, okay, well, I can do whatever, how I want, when I want, and still find the blessing of God on my life. But if you just take a quick look at Scripture, that, that is not true. Any thoughts or comments about any of that up to this point? You got your hand up there? No, no. I saw a finger. So be careful. This is an auction. You're going to pay, right? Don't scratch your head. First of all, you're on. Is it okay? I see what you're teaching right now is breaking down strongholds. And um, the idea that, I don't know where I'm going on that, but I just, all I could remember it right there was that that's breaking down a stronghold. And you taking people to the scripture directly um, helps them to see it, not just hear it, but to see it themselves in the word of God. And um, this whole idea of him, uh, this believing ties into 336 also, where he says, he who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey. And I had a problem with that word obey one time, like the word might or may. And I did have a problem with that one time, time too, because I didn't understand what the word meant. But the idea of the obeying is that what he says you have to do. You know, and it ties into that serpent in in the wilderness, too, that they had to believe that looking at the standard, which was a snake that represented that sin, um, would cause them to be healed. And that's what God is desiring for us to be healed because we're we're wounded. (laughs) Mm. That sin has wounded us. And he's trying to make that right. Anyone else? Somebody? 
Doug? I think um, Aaron said it last week, and just, it struck me, I mean, it, it was just pure truth, you know, that God sent his son, and as Anne was just describing this, breaking off strongholds and looking at the whole situation, and he says, just like the snake in the desert, that was the cause of your sin, you must look to it, he became sin on the cross. I, I mean, that's what we just look to the cross. It, it's, it was just a, and to your point, it's pretty straightforward and simple. Here it is. Here's what the problem is. Here's the solution. I think you made a comment uh, Tuesday. You said something about everything's level at the cross. What do you mean by that? Remember that? Um, yeah. Uh, everything's level at the cross. When we talk about, and I know we'll get to the Samaritan woman, it doesn't matter your position on earth. Um, Nicodemus is who Nicodemus is. He's a teacher. Everybody knows him. He's a scholar of the Jewish history and the Jewish law. The Samaritan woman is rejected by that community. Um, and, and Jesus' conversation with him, and I know we're going to get there, they are two different people in society in that time uh, of history. But the solution for both of them is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Isn't that good? That is good. Anyone else? Daria? Um, I just thinking that God is so compassionate to us that He's He's seeking us. To me, um, it comes to this picture of the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, that the father he gave him what he wanted because he wanted half of whatever his father owned, and then he came back and the father. And this father was, he didn't care of what he did in the past. He, he just waited for him. He, he actually was running with his arms open to go reaching. And that's how I see God. I see him that although we, we committed so many sins, but if we repentant, we are going to, he's going to be there for us. And yeah, so... Jesus came to this world to save us. So, yeah. Hmm. Anyone else? Scott? Um, this kind of hits close to home to me. And, um, I mean, it all boils down to faith. We're not born with faith. We learn it. And, you know, so how do we get that faith? We learn it. We see it. We hear it, we think it, we live it, we learn from others. I mean, and it, and it brings up the scripture to me uh, in Luke 8 where um, the woman was bleeding for 12 years. She was, she was searching for something. And she went to all the, the practitioners or the doctors, whatever they had, couldn't heal her. And, you know, the song, the last song that we... We sang, I have nothing without you. So what'd she do? Her faith drove her to Jesus. And all she had to do was touch his robe 
And Jesus felt that. Jesus felt God leave from him to that woman. And she was healed just like that. You know, it's interesting that we try so many things, running hard, trying to fill it. And the whole time, uh, you know, each one of us is a little different. You know, me, I'm probably my learning curve is longer than most. So I probably had to go through it a lot more to finally have the aha moment in my life that I've tried everything else, but not this. Even though it was hard for me to grab a hold of. And then when I did, it was the answer. Like Peter said, this is a long suffering of God. I mean, each one of us in our life could probably attest to our journey. In our journey of struggle and stumbling and not believing and want to believe and confusion, all that kind of stuff. But yet, he is there. And when we come to him, he extends himself to us. That's actually not that we come to him. He's been drawing us all along. When we finally realize it and say, yes, he is there. Amazing thing about God. Amazing thing. And so, again, his coming, Jesus' coming to the world so that we might be saved through him. Jews, what he was trying to get Nicodemus to see is Jews and Gentiles. Salvation was for the world. And this word salvation is interesting. I mean, we come to understand it as this um, uh, born-again experience, this rescue from sin. But uh, the, the basic meaning of salvation or saved is that of delivering a rescue, rescuing one from a great peril. And, but it also includes, and we can't forget about this, because when you receive Christ as your Savior, you receive salvation. Salvation is more than just an eternity in heaven. It also has this idea to protect, to keep alive, to deliver, to heal, to be made whole. And that was something that just was so revelatory to me, because my life was so broken uh, because of my past. And I get to thinking, but all of us, our lives have been broken, you know, and it's been, we've been broken through sin and pieces because of our brokenness, there's just pieces of God's intended blessing in our life that are missing. And so what does God do? God makes us whole. Think, think about this. God puts those pieces those pieces that have been missing in our life, he, when we come to him, he puts them into our life, what was missing in our life. He puts them in. So, I don't, so for your life, I, I don't really know for you, but I can only attest to a few things about me before I came to Jesus. This total lack of trust in other people. This um, having no, this, this huge lack of what love was. I had this huge insecurities in my life and my way that I would deal anytime conflict came is I would run. That's me. See, because I, I, there were so many things that were missing out of my life that I didn't know. But when I came to Jesus, he slowly just, he started shaping my life and he started putting those pieces that were missing in my life into my life to make me whole, 
so I can begin to understand what love is and, and love and have a relationship so that I know when difficulty comes, I don't have to run. I just need to get on my knees and I need to know that God will help me face whatever it is. So all of us have them. So just we think about salvation you know, hey, I'm going to accept Jesus as my Savior, and one day whenever I die, I'm going to be in heaven. No, no, no. It's so much bigger, so much bigger, that his intent in our life is to bring wholeness in our life. And so if you're, I can tell you right now, every one of us in here, no matter who you are, there's, there's still pieces that God needs to put into your life. But he has every intention on doing it to bring wholeness to your life. Good stuff. Anybody got any thoughts about that? In chapter 3, of course, we see where Jesus uh, told Nicodemus he had to be born again. And we all know that as cute as a baby and as darling and they may be, we do not want our babies to stay babies. And that's where the growth comes in, years. And I think we forget sometimes somebody's saved and they have to just start growing like a newborn baby. And another thought I had is I think sometimes we forget something. Uh, Jesus always said to people, or most of the time, repent the kingdom of God is at hand. And I think uh, the repentance comes in. Now, I know children accept Jesus in their heart. And maybe they haven't, they haven't lived a bad life at all. But there's an element of um, humility comes in when there's repentance. And that's when faith can act on with humility, because uh, repentance recognizes that they can't come, we can't come to God without, in faith we come to God, but also there's repentance of our, of our life, of sin in our lives. Anyone else? Okay, so Jesus is coming. We need to think about this because we're in this world and we're not of it and we are learning, we have learned, but we're trying to help others learn. But think about this. Jesus is coming revealed two things. First of all, it was God's heart toward humanity and their need of rescue because of their sin. Think with me. And it is this, this because of their sin. So when Jesus came, again, they, his coming revealed God's heart to humanity, but also humanity's need. And it's because of this uh, sin in humanity's life, it reveals our true predicament. Uh, which is difficult, unpleasant, and embarrassing, possibly. And we realize that we don't have a right standing with God. So when light shines, it creates shadows. Jesus' coming created shadows. And what is a shadow? The shadow is we see ourselves. I mean, when, you know, I can tell you right now, 
I, there was a, a girl, uh, what was her name? Sherry Reiki. This is like 30 years ago. I'm teaching a, a Bible study. And I'm talking about, you know, being enemies of God and whatever. And it's for questions. She goes, it, yeah, no, that's not true. I was never an enemy of God. So I just started taking some scriptures, walking through scripture. All of a sudden, you could see on her face the reality because of the gospel, because of Jesus coming. She all of a sudden realized really the depravity of where she lived. And for me, when I first came to Christ and this uh, friend of mine shared Christ with me, I remember receiving Christ, but I can tell you it was probably about two weeks after I became a believer, all of a sudden I was overcome with the sin that I was in. So the coming of Jesus, you know, it, re it reveals when light shines, there's a shadow and it shows us as we are. It shows our darkness. It shows that we're not right with God. Now, I can tell you that the gospel is not complicated. It's simple. But we complicate it, I believe. So, here's God's math. One plus one equals two. Jesus came that if we believe, we might have eternal life. I know that there's a lot of fill in the blank there, but the simplicity of it, okay? Here's man's equation about that. See, they don't get the simplicity of the gospel. So they have, they misconstrue and they don't, they have total misconception of why Jesus has came and what eternal life is all about and what salvation is and what God's requirements are and how they stay in right relationship with Jesus. And so they get confused about it and they think they can live however they want, whenever they want. Look, if God loves me, if God really loves me, then I should be able to live the way I want. He should give me what I want and I should be able to have eternal life no matter what. My good should outweigh my bad. Well, that's not the way that it works. See, we do this. I asked Andrew, did you get it solved? All right. Here's what I want you to know about this. One plus one equals two. And humanity, no matter what they think or believe doesn't change the truth that one plus one equals two. Because this right here, this equation, guess what it equals? It equals two. <laughs> I knew Andrew was smart. I said, can you solve this? He was funny. He goes, yeah. And I go, all right. And I, he goes, well, can I have a pen? I don't know how long it took me. Here's his work. Yeah, this, I mean, I mean, if it was Greek, I could read it. Hebrew, no. I mean, I, I couldn't do this. But if I worked at it, if I applied myself, if I asked others, if I really sought to figure this out, I could get this figured out. And let me just tell you right now, if humanity, when we share the gospel for us in our lack of belief and we, we needing to know, if we'll apply ourselves, we'll, no matter how complicated this seems, 
we'll figure out that this and this are the same thing. It equals salvation. So all of us in here, we've tried all kinds of ways to try to get right with God, right? And what did it come down to? Well, that was way easier than I ever thought it was going to be. That was not complicated. That was simple. So, all right. Any thoughts about that? Keith? Satan's big lie? His big lie is that everything's so complicated, and he also, his big lie is that, oh, yeah, you can do what you want to do, and you can do whatever. In other words, it's to trick us into whatever he thinks he can trick us into. But the simple truth is that God loves us. He sent his son to die for us. If we put our faith and trust in him, we have eternal life. And yet he'll do whatever through shiny objects, through whatever, trying to trick people. And it's just the way he's working, it's the way he's always worked. I mean, if you look all the way back, like you said, to the garden, deception. Like half God said. What's that? It was half God said. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that's the best lie, is with truth sprinkled in. And that's the problem. And that's why, even like you said about today's, and I think Doug mentioned it, um, you know, it's bad enough when the world says that the truth isn't true. What's even worse is when the world says, that the lie is truth and evil is good. We went to a whole nother level. And I heard a sermon the other day made a lot of sense. It said, actually the world's doing just what it's supposed to do. But it's the church doing what it's supposed to do. Mm. As a church, are we taking the opportunity now more than ever to be light? Because I was thinking about that this morning. If you look at light and darkness, right? Light is light. All darkness is is the absence of light. Darkness by itself is nothing. It's the absence of light that makes darkness. But darkness can never overcome light, but light always overcomes darkness. So. Well, verse 318, Nicodemus pushes a little bit further, and he says, Now, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And Scott started bringing out, I thought he was going to take this away from me. But the key word and the key thing here is belief. It is faith. Uh, and that is the thing that people seem just to stumble over, is faith. You know, people say, show me and I'll believe. God says, believe and you'll see it. That's how that works. And only if we've walked through it personally ourselves do we go, yeah, that's plain as day. Otherwise, that's really kind of a foggy thing to understand. And so John has said that Christ died for all people. But that doesn't automatically mean that all people are saved. It doesn't automatically bring salvation because no one is saved without believing. And... Here, though, the believing one, well, the believing one doesn't have to fear judgment. But he who does not believe, the one who is currently in a continual attitude of a persistent unbelief, those, well, they stand condemned already. Right now, they are in the place of not salvation. 
We can't, you know, I can tell you already however many, I can tell you already the number of people that passed me over and said, yeah, he's toast. But I had not yet believed. I was in the place of not salvation. See, I have an opportunity, man has an opportunity until they breathe their last breath. See, Jesus came so that we might have life. And as Darius said, you know, you may have taken a run at it a lot of times and failed at it miserably and then gave up on it and then all of a sudden Jesus reveals himself in such a way that it becomes a reality in your life. And I think all through history, you know, here, so right now they're in the place of not salvation because they've not believed. These have been predetermined for God's judgment. So all through God's, all through history, all through human history, there's been this line. And I like in Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, the way that it's stated there when it talks about the law of blessing and cursing, and I've talked about this before. Uh, If you are doing uh, what God is asking of you and you're attempting to lay your life down, to trust Him with your life, It says that there is blessing. In other words, that word means that there is this hand of God on your life and over your life. That's blessing. If you decide to do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, and not trust God with your life, His hand is not there. That's the curse. The curse is no blessing. And all through human history... Uh, again, God has helped humanity see where they need to be, where his blessing lies. And if you're not there, then that's not there. You're, you're kind of on your own. I've said it before, like this umbrella of God's protection. You decide you're just going to go out and wander on your own, do whatever you want to do. That's careful there. God's hand isn't there. And so, but there is this solution. There is this rescue and I, I think that people trip over it because it's a choice. See, man's choice is Jesus. Where he stands concerning God's blessing on his life has, has the determination of whether he's received Christ. But, you know, men reject the truth. They don't want to, they don't want to lay their life down. They choose not to believe. And so I think I've said it before. You decide not to choose life. What what Jesus said in John chapter, no, Matthew chapter 7. There is a way, there's a broad way and a narrow way. The narrow way leads away to life. The broad way leads to destruction. Standing at a crossroads, you choose. What are you going to choose? The gospel is two sides of the same coin. Jesus came to bring salvation, but the very fact that salvation was needed reveals that there was a problem. Salvation for all who believe implies that there is another reality for all who do not believe. 
And this is never anything that is meant for us to have a bat to beat somebody over the head with. It's, it's to help them see that there's, there's choice. So you need to make this choice. But, but it's a stumbling block. Because when man has a choice, it, 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 it's when, when you're faced with Jesus, you have to make a decision. And sometimes men do not like to make decisions. And Jesus had something to say about that. This is interesting to me. I never really realized this before. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 25 says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Mark 8.35 For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Luke 17.33 Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. John 12.25 Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all say it. It's all recorded. It's all the inspiration of Scripture. The Spirit of God wanted in that all four of them say that. See, I think that is important. I think it shows us that we need to choose. We make a choice. And what's fun is that I remember the guy that was sharing Christ with me, he goes, well, the reality is you just don't want to do that. And of course, my stupid response is, well, I don't like that. Well, of course it was. I love my darkness more than I love the light. Of course I'm going to say that, but he kept pressing me. No, you just don't want to do that. You don't want to make that choice because you want to do that. And he put it all, back, all the way back on me. So I can remember the struggle before I became a believer in that, in that amount of time. It was a couple months time. I could have just punched the guy in the face for saying that to me. Because it kept going, it's your choice. What are you going to do with it? Well, now, how many, y'all had that same thing? It's like struggling. You didn't like what was being put in front of you. You had a choice. You had to make a choice. You didn't want to make that choice because you wanted that choice. So here, man is faced with a decision. You look at the world around us. They're in darkness. They don't understand the light. They don't understand that truth. They don't understand the love of God. They misconception. They have these misconceptions of really why Jesus came. It wasn't to condemn, that was to rescue them. So, like Jesus helping Nicodemus understand, we get this opportunity to help people. I when I'm talking to people about Jesus, I'm telling them the good news about Jesus. Does the bad news come up? Well, yeah, I mean you're eventually. Well, why did I need rescued from sin? Okay, well, here we go. Well, because your sin separated you from God. Now, is that really where you want to be? Well, no, but okay, well, all right, well, let's go back, see how this can happen so you're not separated from God. So Jesus is telling him, the reason that I came is not to condemn. The reason that I came was to rescue. Thoughts about that? Somebody? Pete? 
Oh, Daria, sorry. Okay. You don't look like Keith. <laughs> so I just wanted to say um, if you guys could pray for me because I do want to share the gospel, but sometimes I don't want to be out of my comfort zone. I feel like if I say something, I might say something that is wrong. So I, but I do want to say something because I know God is a good God. And if we follow what he wants for us to follow, one day we will have eternal life. So sometimes I hear people talking things that I know they're wrong, and I want to say, okay, that's, you know, that God doesn't want for you to do that. But I kind of hold myself back. I, I don't say anything, but I wanted to say it. But I think it's, um, I know there is a, a page that we have to price, um, price that we have to pay. It's a sacrifice we have to do getting uh, ourselves out of our comfort zone so somebody else can be safe. Somebody else can make better choices. So I just um, ask if you guys could pray so I can do that too. Anybody got any good words for Daria to encourage her with? Somebody? Joan, you got a good word for Daria about what she just said? Then I'll get to you, Doug. Well, I think that we all go through uh, being afraid to speak. I think we all want to say more and do more. But I know the closer I am to the Lord, the more I'm in his word, I can remember my son saying to me, who is not following the Lord, all you ever do is talk about the Lord. And I wasn't saying anything to him. I believe the Holy Spirit works. And I know that Naira has the Holy Spirit in her life. And if he's speaking, we can't say it wrong. Humanly speaking, it may sound wrong, but the Holy Spirit will make it right in the ears of the person you're sharing with. And as a believer, our DNA is Jesus. And we can't keep quiet about it. That's good. Uh, Doug? Or did you have something? <laughs> Follow up. Uh, it, I, I belong to my classmates' group. Um, and what happened, I noticed, uh, we talked about one time, the conversation about blessing and faith. People doesn't want to say Jesus. They kind of get, when you say Jesus Christ, there's something that actually, like what Joan said, we cannot throw it, but we have to throw it on that conversation because people doesn't <laughs> like want that. to throw engage on onto it. <laughs> Got to throw it out there. That's good. I like that. <laughs> Oh, maybe it's wrong <laughs> the word. But anyway, <clears throat> that's what's happening. I'm talking about my friends who grew up Catholic. They love the blessing to come, to hear those, the words. That's why I'm sharing with them, and I always end with Jesus. But the thing is, the more you go with the word, the more you study it, it always comes to you that he's the one who really saved me, who provided this for me. And I always, um, I, I shared it to one of my classmates. I don't want to, um, it really convicts me all the time that I don't want to uh, be ashamed of the gospel because I'm going to be condemned by condemning it, the gospel. I, I don't want to be ashamed of it. 
and that's my drive. The spirit speaks loudly on me when, it, when I, every time I read that, that I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus that's because good. I don't want Jesus to say and just even tap, which I know he wouldn't do, but I just want that, that tap that said, well done, good and faithful servant. Doug? I know we talked a little bit about some of this on Tuesday, but I'll just say, um, looking at the math problems up there, um, <clears throat> it's not, it's more than, than, okay, this truth is simple, it's, it's, but I don't want that simple answer, hmm. right? That's, that's the heart. So you get in this, I do analysis paralysis i'd much rather look at six tango how do you even say that andrew six whatever three plus one yeah i, I won't even try to translate that but but i think i'd many times i find myself rather living there with, with the fear than just looking faithfully at the one plus one equals two mm. yeah that's good and i think the thing we need to remember, too, is that we're in a spiritual warfare, and the enemy doesn't want us to say anything, so he puts fear in our hearts. But the Lord says he has not given us a spirit of timidity, um, but one of power. And the scripture that she was talking about, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it is the power of God. So um, we just need to remember and walk in that power of God. Um, I, I'm not saying I'm not fearful, too, but... It, I need to recognize that it's the enemy coming in and telling me, oh, you know what they're going to be thinking of you? <laughs> and that's what, it's fear that stops us. And we need to remember not to let fear stop us. We need to have scripture and put on the full armor of God because the word of God, knowing the word of God is what your spiritual weapon is, but it's also your defense. So when the enemy comes in with his fiery little darts, you got to be putting those shields up and that helmet on and to remember to stand firm is what he tells us to do. Stand strong in the Lord and the power of his might, not our own might. Hmm. Keith? I mean, I think we all agree with what she was saying there. Um, I heard something just caught a little bit of it, but I guess that's what God wanted me to hear. And it kind of makes you really think it. You know, it talks about persecution, right? You know, Jesus says, they hated me. They're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you like they did me. It said, he said on the radio, said that if you're not being persecuted, I don't mean like some people being martyred and stuff, but I'm talking about just in everyday life where people's not making fun of you, maybe giving you a hard time, maybe decisions at work or just whatever, then maybe we're not really living like the Lord wants us to live. So the bottom line is that, yes, we're going to have fear, and I have fear. And a lot of times when we say what the Lord wants us to say, There'll be times when someone will receive it gladly. There might be other times when people look at you like, look, man, I don't want to hear none of that whatever, right? So, and, and it could, like in, in a job situation, maybe it might end up where you don't get a promotion or you get, uh, you know, you could get fired or just whatever could happen in your life. But all I'm saying is that the Lord has put us here to be ambassadors and to be soldiers for Christ. And in wars, you're going to get wounded. Nobody wants to get wounded. No one wants to get hurt. But if you're going to get hurt and wounded, wouldn't you rather do it for the Lord rather than not do it for the Lord? So um, what was it? Peter and them said that I'm not here to please man, but to please God. I think it was they were talking about. But um, 
Bottom line is that if the Spirit of God desires for you to say something, just say it, even though it may not sound right. I like what Jones said, that even though our words might come out twisted, um, God will get his point across to that person. And God's word does never go out in vain, right? You can say a verse to somebody, and even though they might not even act like they've heard it, down the road, God will use that in someone's heart to bring it back up to them. So we're in a war, and we're going to get beat up, and I got good news and bad news. Good news is the Lord's going to return, and everything's going to be made right. The bad news is it's going to get way worse before it gets better. Hmm. Um, I, I actually, I, we contribute, uh, my family contributed to one of my classmates because she has cancer. It's my whole family in the Philippines. So with Scott, that's with Scott. One thing is um, when I was sharing and praying for her, she asked me, what is your religion? I said, I believe in Jesus Christ that is coming from the word of the Bible is true. And she shut me off. Okay. She doesn't want to let my sister come and visit her because of that. It's amazing. When I returned back to you, I said, you know how my, the love of my sisters for you and not knowing you, it comes from their faith and belief. Because, and she said, because I don't want someone to say that I'm, uh, I'm going to go to hell if I don't believe. Because that's what the people think, that they would, they would uh, go. Uh, that's how people approach them in the Philippines. I said, if you don't believe, you're going to go to hell. I mean, there's some aspect of it, but it's, there's no love put into it. That's what happened. That's why when God said, for God so loved the world, because when we, there's no love, even though you're sharing and there's no love to that person, I don't think it's going to go through. And it went through to her. She was able to, my sister said, uh, we're here because we love you. Mm. We share it because Jesus Christ told us to love you. And she was able to, and that's what actually uh, settled her down, and now I'm sharing with her. It's interesting how it's the nudges, you know, in people's lives. Uh, it's not like radical, life-changing decisions people make, but there are these nudges. Look in your life when you came to Christ and the reality there were these, you came to certain realizations and all those realizations, you, it, it would be interesting just in the spiritual realm to see how that, how that all worked out, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> just kind of, Spirit of God just kind of nudging, nudging people to talk to you, nudging you in your conscience nudging you to see things, nudging you to hear, and nudging you having things revealed to you, but these step by step by step. And so God is so good. So the rescue from sin. You know, the world around us just needs to know that sin isn't uh, something that's in your life so God can hammer you with. Sin is, you know, missing the mark. You know, and for us to be able to help, just kind of help them aim, help them become better shooters, so to speak. If you've ever coached anybody in any kind of sport to do anything, you're just, you're coaching him, 
you're coaching them so they can be proficient, so they can get good, so they can, if it's shooting something, it's to hit the mark, to hit the target, to hit the bullseye. So it's to err, to wander away from the path. It's this idea of falling short means to fail in something to come short of, to not reach. It really is this idea to be left behind in the race and fall short of a goal, not reach the goal. Jesus telling Nicodemus, he came so that everybody can reach the goal so their life wouldn't come to ruin so they could find what God has for them. That's the message that we share. You know, speaking to uh, Daria and for all of us, we're called to be witnesses. So, Tim, you're right there. So, talk to me about what happened this morning in our house with our grand dogs. He has no clue. He wasn't there. If he would have been there, by his observation, he could have told, he could have, he could have testified to this scenario. For us, what we need to get really comfortable with is to, God is asking us simply to share what we know. We're, we're to testify, we're to witness. How, what are we going to witness to, to what we know? To what we've been, sometimes I just go, I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I do know. This is, I, I can tell you I was here and these things happened in my life and now I'm here. Share your story. And I share, I would share my story going, I, I tell you right now, the look you have on your face, I had that same look on my face. Matter of fact, I still, it's really hard for me to believe some of the stuff I'm even telling you. But yet something here, right? Why don't we stand? Father, you're a good God. And I'm praying for Daria, and I'm praying for all of us, that we would just get more comfortable in the fact that you are in our life, moving our life, nudging our life, our life. And that you've placed stuff in our lives so that we can share the things in our lives so people can find what we found. I pray that you'd just really help us with those things. It's not that we're supposed to go out and grab everybody, uh, stop the traffic and scream in every car window, but you place us in places to be a light in the darkness that is around us. I pray that you would help us see that more and more in Jesus' name.